Hey, good morning, East Fam. So good to see you uh, and be able to worship our Savior together. Uh, hey, I, I tell this the first service. I tell you, man, I pray you take advantage of our the music portion of our worship service each week. Uh, I pray that you take opportunity as you're singing to like think about the God that you're singing to. Think about who He is and what He's done for you. Because honestly, when I get up here then to open the Word, it makes my job so much easier. Like if you're already ready to go. So I pray that you did that today. If you didn't today, uh, let's, let's get that next week. All right, let's let's sing, let's worship God. Um, but hey, if you're new here, it's your first time worshiping with us, man. We're so pumped that you're here. And uh, man, God just continues to send uh, folks to our door that are that are looking for a church home, and we're so pumped about that. And so today, uh, if you're here and uh, you're new, we actually have a gift that we want to give you. And so uh, right now at Next Steps is a gift with your name on it. Not necessarily your name, but it has your size on it. we got a free T-shirt that we want to give you today. And so if you'll fill out the card from the bag of the seat in front of you, uh, fill it out, drop it by Next Steps, which are those two desks in the lobby of the church. They'll give you a free T-shirt and also just some information about our church. And so we would love for you to have that today. Um, today we are embarking on a four-week journey that I am really pumped about. Um, I really enjoyed last month. I've been I've been this been pastor here now for over two years, and last month was honestly one of my favorite sermon series we've ever done. Uh, going through the first four books of the Minor Prophets, and if you missed those, you can of course check those out online and stuff. But uh, man, I enjoyed those. Just going through that, and um, uh, we pro- I promise you, I got a lot of good feedback from you guys. So I promise you, we're going to touch on the other eight. There's twelve of them. We only did four. We'll do the other eight, but not today, okay? Um, today, we're going to kick off this study called Hurdles. You see it on the screen. You probably saw the poster in the lobby uh, when you came in. But we're going to kick this series off week one. We're talking about some foundational things. They're going to help us. We're going to get some super practical, real-life things that are going on in your life and in my life the next three weeks. But for today... I'm going to kind of lay the groundwork that's going to help us build on. And so uh, today we're going to talk about what you're supposed to do. The next three weeks we're going to talk about what you're not supposed to do, okay? So I'll give you the good news and the bad news. All right. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to read. If you've got a Bible, go going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews is in the New Testament, really towards the back of your Bible. Uh, just for reference, here it is for me, okay? Here it is for me. That'd be better. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Let me read verses 1 and 2, and uh, then I'm going to pray, and we'll start working through this. Therefore, since we also have such a, a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you, uh, God, for passages like this. God, are just a a great reminder of who Christ is to us, and God, what he accomplished on the cross for us. But God, also a challenge to us as believers uh, to, to, to run the race that you've set before us. And so God, I pray that today, as we talk about this text, God, that you would give us eyes to see um, what you have for us today. And God, I pray that as we always pray here, God, should teach us to know you and that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I know uh, we typically have three points because that's about as high as I can count. But today we actually have four points. But don't panic. It'll be all right. 
Okay, so four things that I noticed as I was reading through this text that I think are kind of signposts. We're not necessarily taking them in order. You'll see that pretty quickly. Um, but I think kind of logically what we have here in the book of Hebrews chapters 12, 1 and 2 is just this picture. It's a really, really cool picture, an analogy, if you will. So we're just kind of kind of take it apart. So the first thing that we see is that there is a race before us, the race before us. That's what we see. Um, the author described, the author of Hebrews describes life as a believer as a race. Okay. Now, there are some analogies that writers and speakers, even biblical authors use that don't connect with everybody, right? Later on in the message, I'm going to talk about marriage. I'm going to talk about parenting. I get that those analogies don't necessarily hit everyone. But we talk about racing. I feel like we can all relate to that because I know it probably looks uh, like I run marathons and things now. I, see, see, when you laugh, I don't know. Anyway. Um, I didn't mean for that to be a joke. Uh, it doesn't look like I do, but, um, I, I can remember being a kid. I don't run now, but I can remember being a kid. And when you're a kid, everything's a race. Amen. Everything is a race. When I was a kid, um, uh, who can run the fastest, of course, who can drink their milk the fastest, right? In the little carton cartons, you had to pop them open and they get hung up and you had to dig your finger in there. Who can cross the monkey bars the fastest? Who can read the story that the teacher asks us to read quietly the fastest? Who can wash their hands in the bathroom the fastest? Like, if you were, if you were in my grade, you raced at everything. And that's what we did. And so I, I'm, maybe you, maybe you weren't quite as competitive as I was, but I think in, in some way, even from the time we were a kid, we can, we can see that uh, a race, but, um, at my elementary school, there were a lot of races going on, but the author here is not talking about a race on an elementary school playground or racing to wash your hands in the bathroom, right? The author of Hebrews is talking about here a larger spectacle of a race. He talks about there being a large cloud of witnesses. As much as we thought our races on the elementary school playground were a big deal, <laughs> uh, nobody watched, right? Um, it was just us. But here there's people watching and and so uh, we had this large spectacle of race. Maybe even the Olympic Games is in view here, right? Uh, the Olympic Games happen just over in Athens, Greece at this point. And so uh, maybe the author of Hebrews has that in mind. I want to give you some stats about the Olympic Games that shocked me. By the time the book of Hebrews was written in the first century, the Olympic Games were over 700 years old. How about that? 776 B.C. was the first documented Olympic Games. And y'all, there was one event. One event. Anybody want to ballpark how many we had this year in the other? 109. 109 events. There was one in 776 B.C. It was a 185-ish meter foot race. And we actually know who won it. There's a guy named Coroy. Coribos? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Greek, but it was his name. He was a cook from the city of Ellis, and he won the thing. He was the fastest in the land. They didn't do silver and bronze. There was just one winner. But by the time Hebrews is written in the first century, there were several other competitions at the Olympics. They had they added a long jump, a discus and javelin throw, horseback events, boxing, wrestling. And some of y'all will like this, that there was actually an ancient form of MMA called pancration. All right. Uh, the only rules were no biting, no gouging, and no low blows. Everything else was legal. They also had, by this point, by the first century, they had different length races. They had different length Races, the longest of which at this point was probably equivalent to our 5K. 
So I ask you this question now, crowd participation time. Did the author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews had, he knew about uh, sprints, short races, and he knew about longer distance runs. When we read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, what's in view? A sprint or a long race? Long race. What word? Endurance. That's the kicker, right? He says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. He seems to be speaking of this longer distance run. What that means, practical application, y'all, life's going to take a while. Like, life, life is going to take you a while. Don't treat life like it's a sprint. And so I'm going I'm to give you just some practical advice today uh, about rhythms. Church, so many people that I run into are just totally burned out in life. They're tr- and the reason it happens is because we treat par- part or all of our lives like it's a sprint. Like we're in this and we just, we got to get there as quick as we can. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. You know, it's not, and I'm going to speak to three specific things and then we'll get back to the text. Uh, first one is that your work life is not a sprint. Your work life is not a sprint. You will never make it to retirement if you're dead. Think about it. That's deep. You'll never make it to retirement if you're dead. Yes, here's what I know. There are going to be seasons in your career path, whatever it is. There are going to be seasons that are heavy. There are seasons that are just busy and you're trying to catch up. I get that. But if they're, if you're busy right now with more than you can handle and, and, and you're just overwhelmed with your work and when you look into the future, all you see is more busyness and there's no break in the future... Like, I'm not speaking on behalf of the Word of God. I'm just speaking from common sense and as you buddy. Find a new career path, man. Right? Like, if you look into the future and all you see is busyness, there are better lives than this one. I don't care how good the money is. Like, God has something greater for you to accomplish. And if you're so stressed out with your work and there's no end in sight, um, you've got to have sustainable rhythm in your life and an unending busy season is not sustainable. Your work life is not a sprint. I'm going to say this too. Your marriage is not a sprint. Take the time in your marriage to form a relationship that is going to last. Some, not all marriages fail because one or both partners never looked beyond the honeymoon. Never looked beyond year one. Year two, whatever, right? Like in their mind, marriage was this thing. I'm just going to give my heart to this woman. I'm going to give my heart to this man. And we're going to love each other forever. And that all works in the short term. But if you don't develop rhythms as a couple, like because otherwise when the first fight comes, what are you going to do? I'm out. You're going to throw deuces and leave, right? Like, your marriage has got to be built on rhythms of your marriage that, that are going to be able to last. Because everything's, the honeymoon will die. It'll be over <laughs> at some point. You're going to have to learn to live together too in the midst of love. This is what love looks like. Your, your marriage is not a sprint. Uh, parents, parenting is not a sprint. I see a bunch of parents running around like it is. And y'all, I'm preaching this after the, one of the craziest weeks I feel like we've had <laughs> in a year. We had ball practices and birthday parties. Why are so many babies born this time of year? Can anybody explain that? There are birthday parties. Something about in our community. There are everyone in our 
circle of friends have a baby born in February or March, I feel like. We have a birthday party every weekend. And so, listen, I don't like for my kids to miss out on anything either, but if our kids only see us going, 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 going all the time, what are we teaching them about life? Are we teaching them that life is a long game or it's a sprint? I'll answer for you. We're teaching them that it's a sprint. We're teaching our children by going, going, going. We're training them to think that life is a sprint and they're going to get into life and they're going to get overwhelmed. I have got to, and Kelly along with me together, we've got to develop healthy rhythms for our home. I want my kids to see me just doing yard work at the house with my feet propped up doing nothing sometimes. Like I want them to know that God gave us rest. I want them to see that. And if all they ever see is us going, 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 we're building into our children unhealthy rhythms. But if you've hated the last five minutes, I got good news. That verse is not about parenting. It's not about marriage. It's not about your work. It's about your relationship with Christ. And not that there's not an overlap there, but church, I need you to know this. Following Jesus is not a sprint. And I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor. It is a sometimes a long and grueling race of endurance. As a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for eight and a half years. I saw students who seemed so fired up about Jesus. God would do something in their life and they would come to me and they would just be so jazzed. Man, they're like, hey, I read my Bible for an hour this morning. Awesome. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> um, like they, they were, they were so pumped up. They're inviting every person on their ball team to church. They couldn't, they, and most of them couldn't figure out whether they wanted to be a, a missionary overseas or a church planner. But they knew God was doing something in them so great that it had to be one of those two things. And not all these kids, but guess what happened to a lot of them two months later? A four-letter word that starts with an L and rhymes with knife. Life. Thank you. Life. Life happened. That's what happened. These these teenagers that were so pumped, guess what happened? They failed a math test. <laughs> and their life came crumbling down. Their best friend stole their girlfriend, which is never good, right? Their parents got a divorce, and then the flame went out. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with having exciting times where you're pumped about following Jesus. I've talked with some of you. I know you're there right now. Like if you were to describe your your Christian life right now, like you would say, hey man, I, Heath, I've never been closer to God than I am right now. And I don't want to diminish that. Like, I don't want to tell you, well, bring it down a notch. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that someday in the future, right now, nothing seems like it could go wrong. Right now, you are flying high. God has given you the dreams you never dreamed of. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But guess what's going to happen? Someday in the future, something's going to go wrong. You're going to get bad news. And when that comes, you've got to be prepared. Write it right now. Talk like Be pumped about this season of life that you're in, but know that life will catch up with you at some point. And right now, while you're riding high with Jesus, you need to develop rhythms so that when life gets crazy again, that you're ready to deal with the valleys, right? And some of y'all are laughing because you're like, what's it like being close to Jesus, man? I'm so busy. I'm so tired. I'm so, I'm so just wore out right now with bad news. I don't even know what you're talking about. 
I feel like I've been in a never-ending valley. (laughs) And you need the same rhythms, though. Because this is a race, not a sprint. Life is a slow and steady race. Um, This Wednesday night, we're going to talk about the rhythms. You're going to have just a discussion. If you want to come back to groups on Wednesday night, uh, we're going to have groups for everybody here Wednesday night, and we're going to talk about what are those rhythms? What does it look like to develop these rhythms in our lives so that we can make these make these steps, so we can sustain a long-term relationship with God? So come back Wednesday night and talk about that, 6.30. The author also talks not only about um, this slow and steady race, this this race is before us. He also talks about the crowd cheering us, right? So just as the ancient Olympian competitors performed in front of a crowd, so we too walk the Christian life with spectators. Uh, we think those, uh, oftentimes I think, when I think about people watching me, I think about those that want me to fail. And I don't know if you've got people in your life that are just haters, but like I got haters in my life. Not many. It's a small group. Um, but like I picture their faces right now. There are people that want me to fail. There are people that don't like when good things happen to me and they want me to fail. And you may have people like that. If you don't, praise God for that. But I, oftentimes when I think about the crowd that's around me watching me, I, my focus is all, oftentimes always on those that are wanting to see me fail. But the context of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 actually says that it's the opposite. There actually, there's this crowd that's cheering us on. And the reason we know that is because it begins with the word therefore. And if you've been here for a minute, you've heard me, anytime we come to the text, some of y'all were wondering, hey, Heath, when are you going to talk about that therefore? That's the very first ver- first word. Matt Tribble's up here panicking because I ain't talked about the therefore. But let's talk about it. When you come across the word therefore in a text, you've got to ask the text some questions. You've got to understand what's going on because the word therefore is saying, because of everything that I just said, Now, this is true. And so let's look at that. The author of Hebrews ends chapter 10. We're going to go all the way back to chapter 10. He begins chapter 10 with an encouragement to have faith in Jesus. To the people that he's writing to, he says, have faith in Jesus. But he knows that's going to be difficult. He knows it's going to be hard. So then he spends the entirety of chapter 11 walking back through the highlights of biblical history. Um, we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament in the time that I've been here as your pastor. And we've talked about some of these key guys like Adam and Noah and uh, Abraham and uh, uh, Abraham's wife, <laughs> Sarah. Thank you, uh, Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob. Like we talked about all these people over and over again. And and what the author of Hebrews does in chapter 11 is he walks back through these highlights. It's a who's who of the Old Testament in the Bible. And the author mentions these names that you may be familiar with. But his driving point is not, hey, look at how awesome these people are. Aren't they awesome? His point is actually that they're doofuses, but they have faith in God. That's what sets them apart. The thing that pulls everyone together in Hebrews chapter 11 is that they all trust in God. They have faith in God to rescue them. The same faith that the author is calling his people to in chapter 10, the very next chapter he spends talking about this, and then he says, therefore, you got a cloud of witnesses around you. So who's in the cloud? Who's in this cloud of witnesses that are watching us? Don't be afraid to answer. That's not a trick question. The people we just talked about. Somebody say it. The people we just talked about. 
Thank you, Kathy. The people we just talked about, the, these, these Old Testament saints. Look, y'all, these, old, the, these people, these are the witnesses. All those who have gone before us in the faith, they've paved the way. We have their stories of their faith right here before us to read about. We have their stories of failure. Praise God to lift us up when we fail. When we're facing difficulties in our life, one of the main things the enemy wants to do is convince you that nobody else has gone through what you're going through. Nobody can help you. You are unique and bad on your own. And then you open up the Bible and you read it and you go, man, these these people that I thought were awesome, like they struggled with the same sins. They made the same mistakes I am. And we find encouragement and we find challenge in the Old Testament. We're not alone in this, even when it comes to the word. And there are all these people around us who are trying to figure out life too, but there are a whole bunch of people before us who have already completed the journey. Look, I want to give you three people. And this could backfire on me, but I'm going to ask you. Uh, I've already talked about how hard marriage can be just to love another person, right? As a sinful person, loving another sinful person. Marriage can be hard. If I'm needing advice on being a husband, three, three, three options for you. I can either talk to Kenny, our associate pastor, you didn't laugh at that, okay. <sighs> so I'm not a runner, but Kenny's a good husband. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. He is. All right, I could ask Kenny. I could call my dad. Or if somehow God would allow me to speak to my great-grandfather who's in heaven, who was married for 73 years. Maybe I made it too obvious. But who, who would I call? I, I'd call Papa Tom. I call him. The guy walked with the same woman for 73 years and loved her unconditionally. Like, that's the guy I want to talk to in the same way. Yes, we help one another in this walk, and, and I, we do need to help one another and encourage one another and lift one another up. But y'all, we've got this whole testament of people that have walked before us that have tried to figure out what faith looks like in a God that they can't see. And it's in your hands. Even if you're holding your phone, it's in your hands, the Bible. And we need to go to it and we need to trust it. And I would encourage you, look back at Hebrews chapter 11 because the stories in it are so cool and how, how the author of Hebrews ties them into faith and it's really awesome. We don't have time. It would be like a six-week series. We're not doing that, but read that this week. So we have this race before us. We have this crowd that's cheering us on, but then he gives us some bad news. Point number three, there, there's, there's this sin that entangles us. I'm not a runner, and it shows. Amen? But one thing I know about running is that you don't need bundlesome clothes when you run. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody's running in a parka and, and layers of pants, big baggy sweatpants. Like, nobody's running in that. Makes It's common sense. I don't have to be a runner to know that. The Olympians actually learned this pretty early on. In Greece, uh, so in Greece there were these city-states. Right? You've heard of Troy, you've heard of Sparta, right? Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Um, but the Spartans were the first to start exercising in the nude. That's how the first service reacted. It sounds weird, all right? But what happened is the Spartans began to do this. Spartans began to practice in the nude. The point, was, or we'll talk about the point here in a second, but then they start carrying that to the Olympics. Their competitors start showing up at the Olympics Wearing no clothes. And everybody's like, that's weird. But he's faster than me. 
And they start taking their clothes off too. And before you know it, the practice of, of the Olympics where everybody's, even the wrestlers, right? Like everybody is in the nude. And some of y'all, some of y'all fuss about the outfits being worn on the Olympics today. It could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. But why did they do this? Why did the Spartans start this? Listen, I'll use a biblical term for you. They were laying aside every hindrance. Up until the point the Spartans started doing this, the Olympics, the Olympians competed in a, like a loincloth, essentially. You know, the, only, the only way you can run faster than just being in a loincloth is to run with no loincloth. And they discovered that. They were laying aside a hindrance. Now, we can argue that this was a hindrance that shouldn't have been laid aside. <laughs> Hey, let's add about a half a second to the race. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But in this endurance race of faith, y'all, there are hindrances for us too. They were laying aside clothing, but for us, what are those things? The text says, Hebrews 12, 1, we have to lay aside. He says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I don't know if he means those as two different ideas, but we're going to talk about them as two different ideas today. When I hear the word hindrance, what comes to my mind is, it's just like a momentary loss of footing, a distraction, right? something in the crowd, a, a loud noise, like something that, that, that just distracts me, just a small hindrance. But then he talks about being ensnared while running. What's it like to be ensnared by running? I try to convince my kids that the only cartoons they should watch are Looney Tunes. Any parents say me in that? Two of us. All right. I, the new stuff I just don't like as much. I don't know what it is about Looney Tunes. Like it's people smashing down on the ground and like being crushed with rocks. Like there's something fun about that. And that's what I want for my children is the weird upbringing that I had. But when I think about being ensnared while running, I picture some Acme. You know what I'm talking about? Acme. It's the company that Wiley Coyote bought all of his items from. And I picture some Acme device being set up on a path by Wiley Coyote, and I step in it, and it swings me up, and I'm hanging from a tree now. Like That's what I think about, being ensnared. The race is over. I'm done. Y'all, this is where we're getting to the heart of this message series. Because what I'll actually argue is that every one of us are facing hindrances that we need to lay aside, but also we're facing things that are ensnaring us. And the scariest thing that we're going to talk about in this series is that some of you don't even know you're ensnared. Some of, some of us, and I'll throw myself in there too because I'm going to share some of those and I'm guilty of all of them. Some of us are living lives in snare. You ever seen a racer run? You know how the race is over? You know when the race is over for a runner in some ways? When they fall on their face. The Olympics are over. You're not winning the bronze if your face hit the pavement, right? You may can get up and finish, but you're not going to finish the bronze. Some of us are here. Some of us are face down and we're living our lives without even knowing that we've been ensnared by the enemy. And I hate to go back to the Olympics, but here we go. Olympic runners are fast. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. That's probably the second most obvious thing I've said in this message, besides the retired thing. Olympic runners are fast, and I've never been called fast. I, I eat fast. That's the only thing I do in my life that's fast. And so I'm going to ask another a trivia question. World Record fastest 100-meter sprint is 9.58 seconds by who? Usain Bolt. So y'all knew that one. Now let's test y'all. Fastest woman 
100 meter sprint. 10.49 seconds. If you're in the first service, don't answer. 1988, I'll give you a hint. 10.49 seconds. You know, less, less, than a, uh, less than a second slower. USA Zone. Florence Griffith Joyner. 1988. If you, I promise y'all, if you've never seen this woman run. Like, what was the dude that swam? What was that guy's name just a few years ago? Michael, you know how Michael Phelps was blowing everybody away and it was just this freak of nature? Like, how does he swim so fast? That's the way this chick was in 1988. I'm talking about blew everybody out of the water. Right before the Olympics, she set this world record of 10.49 seconds. At the Olympics, uh, she smoked everybody in the 100 meter, set an Olympic record. Then she smoked everybody in the 200 meter and set a world record and Olympic record. Then she helped the USA win the gold in the women's 4x100 relay that year. As impressive as all that is, I love to see these 100-meter races, how fast these people are. The only thing more impressive than a 100-meter race is when they put these little barricades out there. Have y'all seen this weird race? They take barricades like the police have or something like that they put up. If you've been to a rock concert, all those barricades that are up at the front, they just take something like that and put it in the way. They just put it out there like... And the people have to jump up. It's hurdles, y'all. You're looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. They're hurdles. This is the most impressive thing to me. This same, this, look at, listen, 10 barricades, 100 meter race, but they put 10 little barricades out there while they're running at these ridiculous speeds and they have to jump over them. Right? I'm here at this important race. There's millions of people watching. I know you're really, really fast. Now let me just put these little things you have to jump over. This is a weird world we live in. Now, the author of Hebrews did not know what hurdles were. They were not invented and uh, used until the 1830s, okay? But I think it's a good image of what's going on in the text. I believe if he had known what hurdles were, he would have said, and the sin that so easily trips you up like a hurdle. And here's what I know, that in our Christian life, there are sins that are really messing us up and slowing us down. There are hurdles in this race of life. And again, I know you think, man, like murder, adultery, lying, like the Ten Commandments. Like that's what you think of. You go, that's the big hurdles, Heath. No, no, no. Because here's why that's not the big hurdles. Your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus knows those hurdles exist. You see what I'm saying? That doesn't take a genius to know that those things are bad. What I've seen in my own life and I'm seeing in, the, in God's Word and I'm seeing in the lives of other people is that and what we're going to focus on in this series is that many of us, as I've already said, have been ensnared and hooked by sins that we either don't think are a big deal or we don't even see. And they've made us almost ineffectual in the Christian life. They're the ones that we can't seem to kick out of our lives or we don't even see. I watched a video. It was a high school. So uh, when the Olympics, when they race hurdles, uh, like there's this whole there's a whole team and everything's checked and everything's perfect, right? But when you go to a high school race, like it's just mamas and daddies out there setting up hurdles, right? Like they don't, there's not a lot of professionalism to it, okay? So I found a video, um, and also with the hurdles, there's a rhythm to it, uh, to the hurdles. And so what I found in this video is a high school uh, team, and they were they were doing the hurdle race, and um, the parents who had set up the hurdles didn't set them up right. They set up the first seven where they were supposed to be. But between seven and eight, they went to the wrong line. 
And there was like five more feet or ten more feet. I don't remember how long it was. And then they did nine and ten, really, like they were supposed to be. But right in here, there was just a longer gap. And, you know, I watched eight runners, high school runners, over the first seven. Boom, boom, jumping over every hurdle. They get to the spot between seven and eight, and all of them go, whoop. And four of the eight fell flat on their face. The other three just tripped into the hurdle, and nobody finished the race. Why? Because they didn't see the hurdle coming. See, the only thing scarier than having to jump over hurdles in life (laughs) is having to jump over hurdles that you don't know are there. And here's what I want to show you. The next three, and I know this is like a little teaser, but the next three weeks we're going to go through, we're not going to talk about the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about those things. You know those things. You can, you can see those things. I'm going to, I'm going to go on and give you the next three weeks of messages, the, the question that we're going to be answering each one so that you can make plans to be here because all the three of these speak to me. Um, and I think all of, if we're honest, all of them would speak to us in some regard. The first week we're going to look at, or week two, we're going to look at why is it so natural for me to neglect sharing Jesus with others? You may say, well, Heath, i got bigger issues than that. And I'd argue, no, you don't. The fact that we as believers who have been transformed by the gospel don't at most often share our faith, that's a problem. And it's a sin that's entangling us. So many of us are laying face down in our walk with God because we're not willing to share our faith with others. And talk about Jesus, invite people to church, whatever it looks like. We're face down. The hurdle got us, and we're just we're just there. The third week, we're going to look at why do I have so much anxiety and fear for myself and my family? And that's going to be a touchy one. So we're going to keep mental health in mind because I've got some things to share with you about that. But we're also going to talk about anxiety and fear that that God's word says we can gain control of. We're going to talk about that. I know we're going to talk about all the things that, anyway, if if that makes you nervous that I'm going to talk about that, I promise you I'm going to handle it as best I know how as somebody who has family members who struggle with anxiety as well. But I believe there's an answer in God's word for a lot of the anxiety and fear we have. And the last question we're going to answer is, why am I always comparing who I am and what I do to other people? Why is it that I look around and I see what other people are doing on social media or in just in my neighborhood and I'm jealous of that and I, I wind up living ineffectual as a Christian because of it. We're going to talk about those three questions in the next three weeks. So don't miss any of them. If they're not a hurdle for you now, they're coming and you don't see them. So get here and let's talk about those things. These things and many others work like hurdles to trip us up and slow us down in our Christian life. They affect our faith journey and we need to see them coming. But there's an answer for all this. And this is where we've been working. Um, it's found in verse 2. Point number 4 is this. The focus driving us. What is the focus that's driving us? Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this. Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrew tells us how we can run the race with endurance. And it's by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I don't like to run, but I certainly don't like to try to jump over hurdles. 
Like I, I'll be a runner before I'll be a hurdler. Okay, I've never tried to jump over one, but it's impressive to me to watch them do it. And if I, as somebody who's inexperienced, am approaching a hurdle, where are my eyes? Huh? Yeah, me. <laughs> On the hurdle. Show enough. Because I'm just running through it if I don't look at it, right? As I approach a hurdle because I'm dumb and don't know what I'm doing, I'm watching that hurdle. As I get close, I'm probably slowing down, right? I'm, do, I'm getting fired up. And then I'm going to try to do the jump. One leg is out and the other one is back. I don't even know how y'all do it. If you're a hurdler, whatever. But like my eyes are fixed on the hurdle, but not the Olympians. I've watched several videos to make sure I'm not crazy. These guys and gals, they don't even seem to look at the hurdle as they're approaching it. Like they just jump over it in their eyes. Where are their eyes? <laughs> Straight ahead. Fixed on the finish line. Mine would be down on the hurdle, focused on it, thinking about how tall it is and, man, is my hamstring going to make it and, and all of those things. But theirs are up, focused on the finish line. And this is what was so crazy. And I know I'm sharing like all these world records with you, but it was so cool to me. What difference do the hurdles make? How, how World record, you th- how many more seconds does it take to jump over the hurdles than just running? Y'all, I would have thought it was twice as long. If it takes Usain Bolt 9.58 seconds to run, I'd have thought it took somebody to jump over those hurdles and run at least 15, 16, 20 seconds. World record for sprinting, 9.58. For women, 10.49. These folks, not them usually, but people that are just as athletic, can do the same distance and jump over 10 of these police barricades And it only takes two seconds more. And, ladies, bragging rights here, the fastest 100-meter hurdle is by an American woman. That's right, ladies, not a man. Kendra Harrison, 12.2 seconds. Y'all, 12.2 seconds. The fastest woman ran it in 2.49, or 10.49. 12.2. That's crazy to me. Nine and a half, ten and a half, add in ten hurdles, it only takes us two more seconds. Now, the author of Hebrews, I believe, he doesn't know about hurdles, okay? But I believe he wants his readers to hear the same principle. When your eyes are focused on Jesus, you can run this race well. The enemy's goal. A lot of people think that the enemy's goal is like to turn you into a devil worshiper or something. Like to get you to go to the church of Satan. You know, that's not his goal. The enemy has one goal, and it's to get your eyes on anything else. That's it. Just like a hurdler. If they take their eyes off of anything else, boom, they're, they're done. And in, the, in this life, this Christian life, his goal is to get your eyes on a hurdle, to get your eyes on another uh, racer, to get your eyes on something else. And the moment he does, he's won. We don't have to fall. We don't have to make a big mess of our lives. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, all of that's coming down the road. We will fall. We will mess up. We will be face first on the pavement eventually. But for now, he's won. 
And so who is this Jesus that we're to fix our eyes on? The text says that he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer carries this idea. Jesus is the source of our faith. The Bible's clear that nobody on earth has ever been cool enough to figure out faith on their own. Nobody's ever looked down and said, you know what? They're just awesome enough that I may just let them in. Every single person. Has, it's taken faith from God. The Bible says that faith is a gift from God. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this, what is this? This faith is not from yourselves. It's not anything that you did. It's God's gift. It's not from works because then you could brag about it. This means that if you are even in this enduring race of faith, if you are even running the race of faith, you have Christ to thank for that. He's the one that bought your ticket to get in. He paid the entry fee or Olympics may not have that, whatever. But he paid for you to, to come in. But not only that, he knows the outcome. Jesus, the other part, the, uh, the perfecter of our faith carries this idea that Jesus completes our faith. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. I'm just bagging up two verses. He also raised us up with him. So this is uh, God also raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, God might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is one of the weirdest pictures in the whole Bible. Can I just be honest with you? It's a little creepy. But I'm going to help you understand it quickly. Here's what I need you to know. In Christ, our faith is completed. What these verses say is that because I have accepted Christ as my Savior, that in some weird nebulous way, I have also been raised up with Christ. Just as God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavens uh, next to God the Father, so I too have been raised up from the dead and seated with God in the heavens. Anybody feel like you're like floating around or something? I I feel very grounded here on a very dark earth. (laughs) But in God's scheme, and when God looks down and he sees the beginning from the end, God looks at me and I'm already in some, like I say, weird nebulous way. I'm already seated with him. I've already been raised up from the dead. I've already, I'm already seated with him in heaven. What that means is that God's not waiting to find out how my race goes. Good night. That should have been an amen, right? (laughs) God's not waiting to see how your race turns out and whether he's going to let you in or not. He already knows the end. In Christ, I am finally and fully secure. No matter how my race goes, no matter how many times I fall on my face, no matter how many times I take my eyes off Christ, because of my relationship with Jesus, I know the end. Back in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sub-point number three, Jesus suffered for us. Notice, Jesus endured the cross. The cross was arguably the most painful way to die in the ancient world. It was a slow, painful death of suffocation, but it was also humiliating. They treated Jesus terribly before they hung him on a cross. They had had his back beaten to shreds. Uh, They mocked him by dressing him up after he was beaten like uh, like a king. 
They spit in his face, they punched him, then they stripped him naked to die alone like the worst of criminals. But did you see in Hebrews 12 too why he endured it? Did you see it? And if you didn't, it's because you read the Bible too quickly. You need to slow down. He says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. There was some joy that Christ could see that made the cross worth it. There was something that could be gained through all the pain that he was going to endure. Well, in the text it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So was that it? After God raised him from the dead, he ascended back into heaven, and now he's there. Maybe that was, maybe that was the Son of God's joy, to be seated next to the Father. But y'all, if you don't know this, he was there already. He left there to come to earth. So his seat, his name was already on the seat. <laughs> So that wasn't it. Let's keep looking. What was his joy? What was it that made all of the suffering worthwhile for Jesus? Church, it was you. Good night. It was me. It was us. Christ saw it as a great joy to make a way for you to be right with God. Even though you're going to butcher the race of faith, you're going to fall, you're going to mess up, you're going to take your eyes off of Christ, it's going to cost him a great deal to give up his life. But he saw it as worth it. And why does the author of Hebrews feel, see fit to give us this? Why is that important? Because I don't have a hard time keeping my eyes on something I love, someone I love, and somebody who loves me back. We got a lot of beautiful ladies in this church. But my eyes are for one lady. She's sitting, she's sitting right back there and she loves that I just pointed to her. <laughs> Kelly has my eyes and she has from early on in our relationship. She has my eyes not just because she's beautiful. She has my eyes because because she sacrifices for me. You see it? It's easy to keep my eyes on someone who's willing to do whatever for me. Someone who loves my children unconditionally. Somebody who takes care of me and loves me even when I'm dumb and make and say hurtful things. Right? In the same way, church, the author of Hebrews is saying, look to the one who sacrificed everything for you. That should not be hard. Look to the one who got you in the race, is going to complete the race one day, and bought your stuff the whole way through. Just look to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember the sacrifice that he made for you. As you go through life, hurdles will come. The enemy is going to try to trip you up. He's going to place things in your path. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Focusing on him is going to help you jump the hurdles and keep right on trucking. If you're a believer in the room, your next step may be, as I've done this week, to confess the hindrances and the entanglements that have got you messed up. What are the things right now, as I begin to talk about that there are things that sometimes you don't even see and think, are you living with issues of sin in your life and not dealing with them? If so, then confess that. Right now, you're here. Guess what you can't do when you're face down? Run. It'll burn your nose. That was supposed to be funny. 
So confess your sins, stand up and get after it. God does not want you to stay there. And maybe you're entangled. Maybe you're hanging from the tree like the roadrunner. He never got caught. The wily coyote always did it to himself. But if you're, in, if you're entangled, if you're caught up in something, man, just confess that to God and get down and get after it. If you're not yet following Jesus, i got a simple step for you, and it's the same one I just told everybody else to do. Look to Jesus. He's the same one who died on the cross for your sins. He bought your way. He wants you to enter this life of faith. He wants you to enter this race. He wants to give you faith and complete it today. And if you'll believe that Jesus' death and resurrection are the answer for your sin problem, and you turn from that sin and turn to him, today you'll be saved. And God, not we want to talk to you about that. We want to help you do that, as we've done so many other people in this room. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, worship team is going to begin to play a really cool song that, uh, man, I grew up singing, and I love it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I love that song. And so today, if you, need to, if you need to confess your sins for the first time and turn your eyes to Jesus, come talk to me. I'm going to be right down here on the front row. But if you need to come to this altar and pray, you do that. If you need to pray right where you are, you do that too. But I'm down here. If you need to talk to me about anything, you may just want to worship God in a new way today because you see your life differently because of the message we've talked to you today, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer. Whatever you need to do, you respond however. God, I thank you. Um, God, that you have given us uh, all these awesome uh, just testimonies before us, God. These Old Testament saints, God, oftentimes it, uh, they just look terrible. They mess up. Um, but God, uh, even through their mess-ups, God, you continue to be faithful. And God, they've, they've completed the journey that we're all on. And God, I pray that we continue to look to them. God, continue to look to your word for wisdom. And God, we'd, we'd also talk with one another. But God, I pray that more than anything else, God, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God, I pray for our groups that will be doing this Wednesday night, just talking about this a little bit deeper. God, I pray that you just give our group leaders and wisdom, God, as they talk about this Wednesday. And God, I pray for anybody here maybe who's just never could put their eyes on, on Jesus for the first time. And God, I pray they do it today. God, just by coming and talking to me, and, and we'll talk about what God's Word says about that. God, I pray that you be with this time of response. God, help us to, to love you more this week. In Jesus' name, amen.